Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we've got special guest Stephanie Chappelle talking to us about leading leaders. We want you to know this podcast was recorded before the COVID-19 outbreak here in the United States. Our hearts and prayers are with each one of you. We know that the whole world is going through a difficult situation and so many of you are leading in very challenging times. Our hope is that this podcast will be a blessing to you and encourage us to continue to be better leaders when the world needs it most. Thanks so much. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad to be back with you guys. Dave, good to see you again. Good to see you, although we see each other quite frequently. We do. Yesterday for lunch. Yep. It was a wonderful time. Sundays when you attend church. Yep. Uh, Sometimes. (laughs) I missed three weeks in a row, I have to admit that. Yep. Um, You never let me forget. No. Well, that's, you know, as your pastor, it's one of my responsibilities is to... Thank you. Yes. You know, you're the sheep, I'm the shepherd, I got the the rod and the staff, and I have to comfort you every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> comfort me with a firm, Text firm message. verbal beating. Yeah. yeah. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where's your tie that? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Everyone's listening from the church. I don't know. I don't know what people give. <laughs> oh, no, but it is, uh, it is good to be back. We're very yeah. excited about today. Absolutely. We have guests on. Not always do we have a guest who is such a great friend of both of ours. Mm-hmm. Usually they're just my friends. Um, <laughs> great friend, great leader. Great leader. Uh, and as is typical, I was friends with this person first. Well, and that's then, not what and she then says. invited you in. Sort of like sort of like the Godhead invited us all into that relationship. I have invited you into so many of the most meaningful relationships in your life. You know, it's interesting because she recently this is a direct quote from from our guest today. She said, <laughs> you know, before this whole podcast started, she said, you know, Jared, you've got a lot of wisdom to share with the world and David needs something to do. So why don't you do a podcast and invite him to be a part of it? And that really is what birthed this whole thing. Yeah, that was an exact quote. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's an exaggeration. But why don't you introduce our special guest today? Absolutely. We have Stephanie Chappelle with us. And Stephanie um, serves as a national field director with Chi Alpha. And some of our listeners are very familiar with Chi Alpha. In fact, I know we have people who listen who... um, work with Chi Alpha as missionaries and, and different leadership roles, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening in are not that familiar with Chi Alpha. So first off, Stephanie, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. We're so glad Thank that you. you can be with us. And um, could you maybe start just by giving us a sense of first, uh, what is Chi Alpha? What is Chi Alpha about? And um, how does your role as National Field Director help Chi Alpha uh, accomplish its mission? Sure. First of all, it's just, it is great to be here with, uh, with the both of you as friends. And yeah, I do have that, Jared, I had that on my bumper right there. I had a bumper sticker that said that. I, mm. I don't know if you saw that there, <laughs> yeah. but um, I, it rotates though. So every once in a while it <laughs> slips over to David. And so okay. um, that way, you know, we're, we're all equal here, you know, the, the three of us, yes. but uh, it, it is a joy to be here. And yes, um, so I work with a ministry called Chi Alpha and we are a national campus ministry organization we're on about 300 campuses around the U.S., and um, I am the grateful fruit of Chi Alpha. I did not grow up in a church background. A uh, little, little bit here and there, my 
mom would take us to my grandparents' Greek Orthodox church, but most of the service was in Greek. And all I learned really about that was you'd get mints in the middle, bread at the end, then you'd go to lunch. And so really it was just about food. Um, <laughs> the the <laughs> couple couple Sundays a year we'd go, it was just about what, what we we're going to get to eat. But when I was a university student, or just about to be a university student, um, I went to a little school in the middle of California, and somebody from Chi Alpha uh, prayed for me literally before I set foot on campus my first day uh, as a freshman. The RA of our hall had gone through and prayed over every one of us in our little section. He prayed that uh, he prayed that we would know God. He prayed that uh, he prayed over our rooms. He prayed over our desks. He prayed over our beds. He prayed that God would do something in our lives, and uh, God took him up on that. And so over the course of the next few years, I just kept having encounters with these Christian students who were my friends. I was trying to figure it all out. I was like, I don't really understand because I like these folks, but I don't really understand they're, you know, they're so religious, but I like them. And, and eventually by the, by the beginning of my senior year of college, the Lord won my heart. And so I, as I said, I'm the grateful fruit of this ministry. And now I have the great pleasure of working with this ministry uh, with our about 1500 uh, staff and volunteers and interns. Wow. And I provide some leadership for our uh, regional and district directors. Ultimately, what my job is to help us uh, operate in a way that is true to our mission and uh, organizationally healthy. We want to make sure our staff are healthy, that we're living according to the mission uh, on the local campus level, the district level, the area level. And uh, it's, a, it's genuinely an, an honor to be able to do this thing. Well, we're we're thankful for the role that you uh, you play with Chi Alpha um, and the impact that's making on college campuses. And right here in New York, we've benefited from your leadership recently, um, just with the the birthing of some Chi Alpha ministries in New York City and in Buffalo. And we're so excited. Um, So many people have put so much work into that. And of course, we see God's faithful, sovereign hand in it all. Um, But we trace it really back to um, your role back then was was providing leadership at a more area level the northeast and i was serving in new york and so uh, i remember when when we first met you kind of came alongside me to help coach me and direct me and uh, even shape my mindset about what kyle could look like in new Mm -hmm. york and so and now you're doing that on a national level so i remember when i heard about this position that you were stepping into i just thought this makes so much sense because uh, i personally have seen your ability and your gift to lead leaders which is mm. which is a um distinct gift sometimes from just leading people who maybe are yeah. not uh, having a lot of leadership responsibility on their own and so yeah. that's really what we wanted to talk about with you on this episode is uh, what it looks like to lead leaders and uh, I wanted yeah. to start by kind of throwing a broad question out there for you, which is simply, mm-hmm. in your experience, what are people looking for in leaders? What do they need? What mm-hmm. do they want? Um, yeah. What are they hoping to get out of the people who are leading them? Yeah, I know for myself what I've been looking for or had been looking for and thankfully have found. I mean, I've, I've wanted a model and a mentor. Uh, I've wanted an encourager. I want someone who peddles hope to me, you know, mm-hmm. at the times when I feel... Uh, least hopeful or feel like I'm I keep banging my head against some system or some process that doesn't seem to be moving. I want someone who, who peddles hope. Um, I want a safe place to learn and even fail and grow. And, and I want someone who also, um, who themselves is willing to demonstrate their own growth. Um, 
there's just something that that speaks to that that allows me to see inside a little bit when someone is willing to show me when my leader is willing to show me how he or she is growing and how they're forming and changing and um and i also have a deep conviction in terms of a in terms of a leadership theory or leadership style i'm deeply committed to servant leadership hmm. and um sometimes i think in the church we use servant leadership as um kind of a broad stroke and we use the example how how jesus wash the feet of the disciples and serve them. And yes, that is true. But I think sometimes what we do is say, well, servant leadership is just, okay, that person has a need, so I meet it. It's actually much thicker, much more substantive than that. And as a servant leader, my job is to help the people that I lead, the people that I serve, develop themselves. I know that organizationally, we're going to be healthier when those leaders are developing. And so my commitment is to their development as much, if not more, than our organizational um, expectation. So that makes sense. So that's kind of a long-winded answer in terms of what people want and need in leaders. But man, we need we need we need the folks who will stand with us and open doors for us mm. and allow us to, as I said, learn and fail and grow. Yeah. So Stephanie, you, your role is mm-hmm. um, unique in that you you primarily uh, work all with with leaders of. Mm-hmm states and districts and yeah. regions and so um although there's i'm sure many blessings to get to do that i know there's also some unique challenges um, when leading leaders and so could you share kind of from your experience sure. what are some of the unique challenges that you face when leading leaders sure yeah i i think each maybe each organization or ministry or church might have some things that are unique to their culture i know for our ministry we have a deep value for relationship um our national director says all the time, the kingdom of God is established in a relationship. And we deeply believe that. And in fact, we have a, a saying that has been core to who we are. We try to process relationship before task. It's it's connecting with people and making sure we're all in a, in a good place. And then together we do the task. I think that the strength of that may have a little bit of a shadow at times because I've seen some leaders be a little bit hesitant to lead people that they're relationally near, uh, people that they view as friends or peers, and they are that relationally, but the person may actually have a positional authority. And sometimes I think what happens is that people back away a little bit because it because it might be a little bit awkward of hey I you know we're friends but boy I've got a I've got a maybe call you to account for this thing. And so that's a unique challenge of, of leading other leaders. Again, I, I think primarily the strength of relationship is worth it, but we have to navigate that shadow. And I think too, sometimes I, I, I remember feeling this the first time I stepped into a leader of leaders role in a district. And I remember meeting some new folks. I was transitioning into a new district and um, I thought, dude, these guys are smart. And I remember thinking, do I have what it takes to lead them? You know, do I, they're, I think they're better than I am at some things. I better really up my game. And I think one of the things we have to do in leading other leaders or a challenge that that we could face at times is if we feel like, man, they're really good, then we say, how can I best provide leadership or how can I best serve them in leadership? Am I able to provide something that they don't have? And and I think that's one of the things we need to do as leaders of leaders is, is take a look and say, what is it that I can do? How can I provide something that they don't have that will only make them fly higher, that will only allow them to be more successful or more fruitful? 
And so occasionally that's providing maybe a seat at the table that they wouldn't otherwise have. That's a deep conviction of mine is um, when possible, I try to bring another chair to the table to provide a seat at the table for someone who wouldn't have that. And that may also mean at times I've got to get up and leave my seat. If there's not room for more seats at the table, I need to give my seat up. And that's one way I can provide some leadership for them for their development, uh, as well as, um, you know, for the hopefully the, you know, greater development of the organization uh, for its future. One of the things I think is interesting is when you when you look at um, specifically like coaches of of sports teams, um, very often great coaches weren't like phenomenal players. They were solid. They were steady. But they weren't the all stars, and many times, like the great players, actually have a hard time transitioning into coaching. And I, I don't know why exactly, but um, as you were talking about, you know, leading people who you may look at and feel like, man, I feel like they have some skills and gifts that are even beyond my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having a, a coaching mentality sometimes allows us to mm-hmm. go, yeah. But and you said this well. There's things I can bring. Um, that they're not they're not able to give to themselves. So you gave the example mm-hmm. of opening doors, or, or, or I think mm-hmm. that um, metaphor you used was giving them a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that you can bring, and I've seen you bring to me, is just um, leaders can't give themselves an outside perspective on themselves, right? right. right. So yeah. we right. can be very self-aware, um, but we cannot see ourselves um, the way other people see us, and everybody has blind spots. So in your experience of helping leaders um, identify their blind spots and um, giving other leaders your perspective on their leadership that they are unable to give themselves, what are some ways that you find to navigate that? Because that can be a difficult conversation. Sure, right. Sometimes I feel like I have the... the um... I don't know, the ministry or the activity of a kaleidoscope, uh, you know, those things you look through and there's, you know, all the little glass pieces or the, the mirrors. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you just, you just turn it a little bit and there's a whole new picture. Nothing new was added into it. It's just a new picture. And I, and I do think that a leader of leaders needs to be able to kind of operate in that, in that, if I, again, if I can call it the ministry of, of the kaleidoscope is just to be able to turn it a little bit and allow somebody to see a new picture. And I, I think that happens a lot of times, just like you're saying, when, when they're, maybe they're stuck in an area, um, can't quite see the path forward, or maybe there's an area of their own uh, leadership that uh, isn't working very well and they need to see that. Sometimes just the right kind of question can just turn that thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then you, you just kind of walk with them and, and help them identify, okay, what do you see now? Um, what do you recognize as we turn it here? There's a bit of a shift. And I just find that that image or that illustration has been really helpful for me to, as I serve other leaders in recognizing those, again, those places where they may be stuck or they don't know what's the path forward or, you know, I'm trying to make a decision and there are two good answers here. What's the best answer? What, what's going to get us closer to where we want to be? Because they both look equal. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things that I, I really try to take into consideration how can I just shift it a little bit? And so then from there, it's just some really practical follow-up questions. You know, what, what comes next? Or have you considered um, kind of questions that will allow them to reflect back? And it's amazing how in those kinds of conversations, I don't know, it just seems like the Lord just helps us with the path, path forward. Have you found, um, you, you, I'm sure you coach a lot of millennials, 
Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, obviously a lot has been written and said and thought about that generation. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll be increasingly coaching the next generation. Just take it easy because you got one on this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not me. I'm kind of in between Gen X and, and the millennial period. But, um, you know, finding finding ways to um, – I guess what, I, what I'm wondering about is some of the questions that you've developed, some of the language that you use to invite people to discover things about themselves in a way that um, lets them own the discovery, um, mm-hmm. but also pushes the conversation so that it doesn't yeah. just kind of like stop with their limitations of seeing themselves. And so yeah. um, I guess my question is, is two part. Number one, any specific questions you use or types of questions or phrases or language you use that you find very helpful in getting people to um, reconsider and, and that kaleidoscope metaphor, look at things differently. Mm-hmm. And also anything you're learning just with millennials that is unique to, to coaching that generation. Mm-hmm. Great questions. Yeah. One of the things I, I've been doing lately, I've, I've found to be helpful is when someone will come and they're trying to wrestle through something, um, I, you know, cause I, I'd love to say that I see everything and, and see the long vision and, you know, perfectly play all the chess pieces in my mind, but, but I don't either. I mean, it, it's going to take some processing for us to be able to get to where we need to go. Um, one of the questions I've been asking people lately is, well, what is the downside? If you walk that through, what are the things that you'll and you think you'll end up facing, and are those things? Is that ultimately what you're looking for? Um, are those things things that you would want to avoid? And so, just kind of trying to process through. Let's walk down this path together in our discussion. Where does where do we think this is going to lead us? Where do you think this is going to lead you as you make these decisions? Now, do we need to make any mid course corrections from there? Um, so, I, I think David, I, I'm following your question, but those are some of the things that um, in in helping leaders think through those things just to have them reflect back uh, a lot of times things will emerge where they're able to say yeah i can see where that could lead us and we don't want to go there so three steps earlier we we need to make this kind of a change Mm -hmm. and i think that's been helpful for some folks just being able to process it that way and and the millennial question oh that's a great question we i think we're still learning things. And, and just as you said, we're, we're heading into, we're starting to see a lot more of the Gen Z and even how some sociologists are saying there's the overall Gen Z, but there's even kind of a subculture of what they're calling iGen um, that is just now coming into our early like intern force. So they're maybe the just coming out of college in the last couple of years and I'm asking a lot of those questions. Um, a book I've been reading lately, I've been recommending everywhere. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. Hmm. And um, fa- fascinating book. Um, and, and just really kind of taking a look at what this iGen, so those born from probably 97 on, um, wh- what's, what's the, what are the waters that they grew up in? You know, what's the culture that they grew up in? And taking a look at why some of the issues of anxiety and depression are more prevalent in there, because I, I think that's going to be one of those things that we're going to face more and more with the upcoming workforce that will that will be with us, and um, also some of what the authors call safetyism. Um, why is it why is it that universities are trying to protect students more from things, even to the point of limiting free speech? in the fear that someone might be offended. Uh, Mm. Those are, it's just, I I highly recommend the book, Um, but those are some things we're just exploring now. Um, And so we're, I feel like I'm, I'm 
going headfirst into trying to figure this this stuff out because I think the the basic assumptions are going to be different with some of our coming new staff than the millennials that I've been working with for the last several years. Which is a really big deal because the focus of your ministry is the college campus. So you're always mm-hmm. going to be on the front edge of yeah. the generational shifts. Yeah, we have to. And, I, and I'm and i not going to lie. I think as I get older, <laughs> I just, I'm like, whoo, takes a little bit more effort <laughs> to, to know what's going on out there, but it's 100% worth it. Because cause here's the deal, and I, I, I use this example a lot of times, um, and, and I may have even said this to you guys before. I remember uh, being on our campus one time. I was in Washington, D.C., and we had a guest speaker come to speak to our students, and she was the ambassador from a nation in Africa uh, to the United States. And she, she talked about how she lived out her Christian faith in her, in her profession. And she said, I'm a bridge between my nation and yours. And she said, here's the thing, to be an effective bridge, you have to be strong on both sides. She said, you can't be an effective bridge if you're only strong on one side. So I know my language, my culture, my customs of my nation, but I also know the language, culture, customs of your nation so I can be strong on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I, I really just took that and thought, that's, that's, what I, that's what I'm called to do as a campus missionary, that I, I know the language, the culture, the custom of the church. What does it mean to be a part of the church? But I also know the language, culture, and custom of the university campus, and I want to be that bridge that's strong on both sides. And so that's really a big part of why I keep leaning in, trying to make sure I am listening and learning about students and the shift, the culture shift that we see on university campuses now, because I don't want to be a bridge that's strong on only on one side. That will make me ineffective. That's good. Yeah. I love that. I want to shift gears a little bit, um, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And I know um, in your role now, you work with a lot of leaders that you inherit or you don't necessarily have a say over who's in those positions, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure a lot of our listeners can can relate to as well. For example, who who is the co-host of your podcast? You don't always have control over that. You beg. I have control. <laughs> you got to have, sur- have a surrendered heart and a hope for the future. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he, begged, he begged me. <laughs> but uh, so I'm interested, like, as you're working with leaders, is there any um, – is there any red flags for you? Are there things that you, if you see this in a leader, you're like, there's, there's an issue here. And maybe this person is not uh, on, on, in the right seat on the bus. And um, maybe we need to, to, to think about moving somebody else in. So what are some of the red flags that, sure. that you could uh, notice in leadership? Sure. My first thought is just, is just leaning right over toward Patrick Lencioni's humble, hungry, smart. Uh, we, we speak a, um, a lot about the ideal team player, that book where he talks about humble, hungry, smart, uh, in our ministry. And so that that's the first thing that comes to mind is when there's a lack of humility, we have a, a saying in Chi Alpha, we're always looking for fat people when it comes to student leadership development, faithful, available, and teachable. But that's not just for our students. We want to know that um, our staff, we're living out kind of the the values of being fat, faithful, available, and teachable. Every once in a while, you bump into somebody who shows not so much of those, you know, and that's that's a challenge. So that goes along with the humility part and um, or perhaps lack of humility part of just to say, I'm, I'm going to lean in and learn. When I see people who are unwilling to lean in and learn, I just think, wow, it's, this is going to be a hardworking relationship because mm. we we have to keep leaning in and learning. I, Especially when it comes to the university um, campus, we have the privilege of ministering to some of the sharpest uh, most thoughtful 
people in the world. I, I just, I know I'm a little bit biased, but I think about some of the campuses where I've had the pleasure of serving and these students are sharp. So if I'm not leaning in and learning uh, to be continue to be a better campus missionary, um, that's a problem because I, I, I know I need to keep my, I, I know I need to keep sharp in order to be able to do this work. So that's one of the things in my mind is the humble, hungry, smart. When I pe- see people who, um, and I, I call it the eye of the tiger of the old, old song from the Rocky movie. When I see people who don't have the eye of the tiger, I just think, oh, it's going to be hard to, to do this ministry. Mm. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean burnout. That doesn't mean overwork. In fact, um, I have a high value for space in our schedule. I have a high value for rest, reflection, Sabbath, uh, all those things. But it's more of an internal thing, that, that kind of inner sense of I'm willing to work hard for this mission. And that includes not just saying, well, I clocked out at a certain time and I'm done, um, but I take personal responsibility. I remember feeling that way when I first became a Christian on my campus. I, I remember thinking, I, I'm so glad I have a campus pastor in our ministry here, but if he wasn't here, I'm still responsible to reflect Jesus on my campus because this is my campus. And um, so those are a few thoughts. Steph, one of the things that I most remember about the way that you led me was um, in a really gracious way, you would hold my feet to the fire on next steps. And Mm. the truth is, is that when you're leading leaders, they got lots of things that they care about. (laughs) And um, it's not always uh, it's not always what you're leading them towards. You know, there's a lot of other Mm -hmm. distractions. Some are important, some are unimportant. And and um, I remember the first time you really did this to me, it kind of put me on my heels. I was like, oh, she wants to know, like, she's asking me, like, when am I going to do this? And can she can she follow up with me on this? And and to be honest, I had not really been led that way. Um, and so can you just last question before we start to wrap things up? Can you speak a little bit to how you do that for leaders, how you um, help them take that? And I remember you always saying, like, we don't just want a big vision. We want a long vision. Yeah, and a big vision is yeah. exciting. And I like big vision because I'm a I'm kind of a, I, ideation is one of my strengths. And and I, I like talking mm-hmm. about ideas. But long vision requires strategy. <laughs> sustainable yeah. plan, a uh, culture that sure. can sustain it all. So just um, a few best practices when it comes to coaching people towards movement. Sure. Yeah, David, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that that was helpful. Um, and I know for myself, I, I, I know part of the thing I need that just because of the massive amount of uh, kind of weight that we all carry with a whole lot of different things. Um, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to sit together in a meeting and say, okay, these are great ideas. But as you, even as you quoted that, uh, one thing, we don't just have a big vision. We have a long vision. I got that from my pastor when I lived in Washington, DC, um, Mark Batterson, I I attend a national community church. He would say that all the time. And I grabbed onto it because it was so helpful. And, and that was really part of the thing. If we have a long vision, okay, well, how in the world are we going to get there? First of all, we have to just recognize that we need to have a long vision, I think our, um, I think sometimes I, I look around. And I think our capacity, or boy, I can't even think of the the phrase now. And it's gonna be ironic because it's um, exactly what I'm trying to describe is what I'm forgetting. But our capacity to be able to think long is challenged because of so much constant input that we have, even on a practical level, even on you know day to day. How many times is the phone beeping and all these things. And then you go into um, 
you know, the, the capacity that we have for all of the things that we carry. I know sometimes if I don't have someone sit me down and say, okay, what's the next step? I know that about 13 other things are going to take its place. So I have to ask myself, is this really the long vision? Is this important enough for me to keep pressing through? And so that's one of the things that I feel like is just, we can help each other along the way in those kinds of moments to say, okay, what comes next? Because I, I do think there are some meetings that are good for deep consideration. And then you put a pin at the end of the meeting and say, okay, we, we thought well about that, but we don't need to take an action step. Then there are some where we think, okay, we actually need to take some steps in order for us to be able to get the job done over the course of this long vision. So um, in those moments, my thought is, I would rather take some steps, and even if we need to make some mid-course corrections, I'd rather do that than try to start uh, from just a total place of, of a lack of motion. It's just hard to hard to get going when there's no motion, but if we're taking some steps, then it's a lot easier to say, well, we need to make a little mid-course correction there. Let's veer it a little bit to the left because that's going to get us where we want to go. So if I can help someone at least identify those steps and start to take those steps, uh, I, I feel like we could keep making the short plays to get to the to the end zone, if I could come back around with the sports analogy. So I find it helpful for me, and I've found when I've worked with some leaders around the country, just having someone to help them identify and say, you know what, yeah, in the next month I'm going to do these two things actually helps them get it done. Uh, love that. That's awesome. Um, we're so thankful for uh, so much of what you shared so far. And we're excited for what you're about to share because, you know, our heart here is not just to help create better leaders, but also better yeah. eaters. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yes, right. So so we do a little portion called David's Eats uh, where yes. we, we like to, when we have a guest on, ask you some questions about food. And, mm-hmm. uh, and our hope is that, that uh, we're going to be inspired today. We're going to be moved, mm-hmm. you know. So we want to know from you, Stephanie, what is the best thing you've eaten? Your favorite dish. If, oh, if, I mean, yeah, my favorite dish. Yeah, if yeah. you could have it, if you could have anything, what what are we you know, having? I, well, you know, in all reality, I, I want, I, I am straight up Mexican food girl. And I know oh. not everyone loves that. Born and raised in Los Angeles. But here's the thing. I remember standing one morning in Mexico, uh, just over the border from Texas, at a little taco stand, literally, it was a stand that the lady rolled up into the middle of the street. And I'm eating this taco for breakfast, and I'm thinking it doesn't get any better than this moment. Senora <laughs> Martinez's taco stand for breakfast in the middle of the street, and I feel like it's like all my worlds just combined right there. Everything that I want is just I'm standing there in this little place eating a taco for breakfast. So I know not everybody that's not their thing on on. Uh, for everybody, but I just think anytime you can start with Mexican food in the morning, the rest of the day is going to go well for you. Yeah. Speaking of bringing all of this together, when uh, Jared and I were at a Chi Alpha event in San Antonio, um, mm-hmm. they served breakfast burrito or breakfast tacos, I guess. Yeah. I don't nice. know if they were tacos, yes. they were wrapped up tight. So I don't know if that would be a little burrito or a taco. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. they were in flour, not corn. Corn is kind of the taco, mm-hmm. auth- like authentic tacos are corn, right? right? Corn shells. Right. And, uh, right. but anyway, it was like, it was a little strange to me at first, like just this huge barrel of like, um, tacos, <laughs> like ready to go for breakfast. But once I started eating it and put a little hot sauce on it, I was like, yeah, oh, this it, is a good it breakfast. Makes sense. It, makes sense. <laughs> oh, it makes perfect sense. And then you, and then you add some queso or something on the side. I mean, I just think 
all of heaven. There's going to be an entire, it's like a, a, an ocean of queso in heaven. That's how I'm going to know. My daughters will meet you there. <laughs> all right, deal. <laughs> oh, man. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Stephanie, so much for being on. We're going to have you back uh, for our next episode where we're going to talk about discipleship. And it's yes. going to be great. So thanks, everybody. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you next time.